Culture is a capital scene in this sense. It's not just knowing for the sheer pleasure of knowing. It's knowing because it creates capital. And it's kind of nice to get cut through as well when everyone's like, oh, they make so much money. It's like, yeah, well, how do they do it? And like, it seems like it's so unattainable, but really, it's really achievable. Welcome to Think Business Futures. On this show, we take cutting-edge business research, couple it with real-world examples, and explore what's actually happening in business, finance, marketing, and that broader economic world we have to deal with. I'm David Brown, Associate Dean External Engagement at the UTS Business School. And I'm Nicole Sutton. I'm a lecturer in accounting at the UTS Business School. And we're looking at celebrity capital. And how is it that organisations or individuals capitalise on fame? And on this episode, we're speaking with Associate Professor Francois Carriard, Thanks for joining us today, Francois. Uh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here and uh, have a chance to uh, share a bit of the academic world of research. So this might seem like a naive question, but just so we're all on the same page, what makes someone a celebrity? Well, that's a yeah, very important question. You know, it's uh, most people think of it in terms of, uh, of fame, right? And you have different definitions, but... One way to look at it is when do people become interested in what you do outside of your main domain, right? Okay. So if you are a, a very good golfer and, you know, you only appear in the sports uh, pages of the newspaper, maybe you're not that much of a celebrity. But if your name starts showing up in the other columns and the sports pages, then uh, most people will, s- will say that's when you become a real celebrity, when people know you outside of your main domain. You know, it could be uh, Tiger Woods, you know, he will have columns running on him, but in the Wall Street Journal about his economic impact, and they will talk very little about gold. Yeah. Right. And so it's about that recognizability, right? It's about the recognizability, yes, in, in, in general, and recognizability through the media. So the media, like radio mm-hmm. and other media, nowadays all the online sorts, of course, uh, they play a crucial role in that uh, recognizability, yes. Uh, it is recognizability through the media. So we're interested in exploring the economics or business models that relate to celebrity or celebrities. So, for example, we're pretty familiar with corporate sponsorship uh, in you know, the sporting arena, for example. So your Puma uh, infamously managed to sign a rising talent of a 16-year-old, mm-hmm. Usain Bolt. So why would a company like Puma pay so much money to sponsor an athlete like Usain Bolt? Well, at, at the time, they, it was a pretty sweet deal. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the Pumas, the Nikes and Adidas of this world, they, they, you know, they have this strategy of uh, trying to uh, catch them uh, when they are not too pricey, right? So a 16-year-old Bolt who runs a 400 meters... Uh, which is, you know, not the most uh, recognizable distance when you are a track and field athlete. You know, why would you do that? Well, that was a very, uh, that was an investment. Uh, he, he had potential, he had talent, and of course, in his case, he had uh, already huge charisma. Um, when you read a little bit, uh, there are a couple of books because of who he has become uh, that relate that journey, and uh, it's pretty well documented that uh, that carried him a long way in getting that deal, for example. And, uh, he, he, you know, he was good, but, you know, you couldn't really tell that he would become the, the fastest man on earth. What's the payoff? Say, and as what happened, he did mm-hmm. become the fastest man on earth. What is the benefit of Puma paying 
an athlete like Usain Bolt sponsorship? Yes, that's a very uh, tricky question. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, it is, it, yeah, it's, you know, what's the payoff and how do you measure it, right? Uh, it's one of those things where you know how much it costs you, uh, <laughs> but you are missing that one little variable to calculate your ROI, right? Which is, you know, how much did you get in return? <laughs> and, you know, you have some intangibles, uh, you have uh, some uh, uh, esteem factor, you have some, why not, social benefit factor. You know, maybe not if you are helping uh, an already superstar, but if you are helping uh, a rising star. Uh, and of course, there are some uh, financial returns. There are uh, quite a few studies now that shows uh, that the stock market uh, reacts to uh, news of new endorsement. Mm -hmm. Just a simple fact of saying, hey, uh, we are Puma and today we are pleased to announce that we signed up using Bolt, right? So the, the stock market will react to that, not always positively, but sometimes it does. Do you have an example when it reacted negatively? Yeah, yeah, there, there are some, uh, some examples. You know, if you look at the, the individual cases, when um, uh, Michael Vick uh, is, is kind of infamous, Michael Vick is a he's football a, He's an um, NFL, NFL footballer, star. yeah, right? Yep. He, you know, he was a very good player and uh, he had this huge scandal. Uh, he was basically the ringleader of a dog fighting uh, oh, league yeah. in his basement. So, not a good look. Yes, no. you know that's no, not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we lost uh, all these sponsors, right? And, uh, and then a few time has passed, and he becomes a big advocate for against animal cruelty. Uh, he makes a successful uh, sporting comeback, and Nike signed him back. Mm -hmm. after initially dropping him three or four years later. Michael Vick got to write his comeback story on the field. Now he has seen his image come full circle off of it. Nike, which severed Vick's contract in 2007 after admitted to his involvement in a dogfighting ring, has re-signed the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, said Nike spokesman Derek Kent. We do not condone those actions, but we support the positive changes he has made to better himself off the field. So the stock market didn't really react positively to that. So just so I can understand this really clearly, from a corporate's perspective, if they then sponsor an athlete, so or celebrity, but let's you know talk athletes, then they expect future revenues to rise and therefore you know more profitability. So in a sense, it's sort of really driving the upside of the firm because you said earlier the return on investment is likely to increase. That's the inherent logic. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you look at the stock market, right? So you are really uh, you are really measuring what the sh uh, shareholders expect in terms of future cash flows, right? And mm. and so that's the bottom line. That's just that's just one way. I was talking about you know how much it costs you, but you don't know how much you get in return. It's just one way to capture a part of that return. There are others, esteem, things like oh, you signed a big star in this sport, or so maybe you know you just signed Usain Bolt in for your track and field area and then maybe you are maybe more likely to get someone in basketball because mm -hmm. a star attracts another and that's another benefit that's very hard to you know factor in your ROI equation but it does count to some extent. Francois, before you mentioned this term endorsement mm -hmm. as well and so I know you've done a fair amount of work on celebrity endorsements mm -hmm. What is this? And in particular, how is celebrity endorsement potentially different from, say, sponsorship of an athlete? Yeah, that's a uh, that's very important distinction. Uh, sometimes it's a bit blurry in people's uh, mind. It's a matter of who needs more of the other party. That's what 
the differences between the two strategies. So, mm -hmm. you know, if Puma is endorsed by Usain Bolt, you know, Usain Bolt brings more to the table than, than Puma will to the athlete. But uh, if Puma sponsors rising athletes, which might be, you know, well known to some extent, but if they are sponsoring those athletes, it's a, it's a strategy that shows that those athletes need more Pumas than they would give ah, in return. So gotcha. it's a bit more, uh, when you sponsor an athlete, it's more of a social move. And when you are endorsed by an athlete, Mm. Uh, which is usually a bigger star. You know, it's an economic uh, decision. Well, in both cases, you have the organization giving money to this individual, mm -hmm. but the flow of, say, reputation is different. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, you know, when you talk about uh, endorsements, corporate sponsorships, uh, the way to kind of put those two strategies in one basket is to say it's a case where the company or the brand uh, would like to borrow some legitimacy in a new product category or some values that it is lacking for some reason, right? So to borrow or maybe to buy it for good. So to conceptualize this, when an organization pays to be associated or linked with an individual, scholars like yourself would refer to this as being celebrity capital. Mm -hmm. Could you explain this to us? Yes, well, it's, uh, some, uh, it's, it's a new way to kind of understand what's going on. I, I just finished this article that will come out in a few months, trying to understand the power or the fame of celebrities, but throughout their career, however short it may be, <laughs> right? Uh, and so in marketing, we have the product life cycle since the 1940s, but we thought, what if we use that and apply it to celebrities or endorsers? Uh, and because, you know, uh, their fame, it fluctuates over their career. Sometimes it just goes to zero and maybe that's the end of their career. <laughs> or it just starts to go down and for some reason they have a resurgence, uh, making some sort of comeback uh, after a scandal, for example, or uh, maybe they just fell out of fashion for some reason. And so we looked at this over time and we also thought about, uh, but what really fluctuates over time? Eh? Um, and we thought about the idea of uh, calling this the celebrity capital. Um, and this is based, by analogy, I should say, on uh, the work of Bourdieu and field theory, which is the idea that in Bourdieu's, I'll try to explain that in a few words. <laughs> uh, like Let's see how we go with that. It, we took a simple aspect of the theory, of, of his theory, right, to kind of understand the phenomenon of endorsements. But one aspect is uh, that what he observed in bags and in France, that social classes have a very strong tendency to replicate themselves throughout generations. How is that? One of his ideas, that uh, an explanation is that the upper classes, the elite, tend to create some codes that they share with, uh, you know, their uh, their children, they share with their, their family members, and those codes constitute a certain cultural capital. So uh, that's why, uh, and it's not about trivia; huh? uh, <laughs> it's about very specific uh, parts of uh, cultural knowledge. Uh, you know about music, classical musicians, you know about expensive wines. Maybe it's not just good for knowing how to enjoy life. Maybe it's good to, to know to send the right signals to the right people when you meet them. And 
so that's his idea, right? So culture is a capital seen in this sense. It's not just knowing for the sheer pleasure of knowing. It's knowing because it creates capital. And this capital, which is cultural, I can exchange it because it's, it's like a currency in his theory. And that's what's great about it. Uh, I can exchange it for economic capital. I can exchange it for symbolic capital. What, what's, um, what's symb- I get the economic capital, but what is the symbolic capital that I might be able to exchange my cultural capital for? For example, you might be seen as a more of an expert in your domain mm-hmm. uh, because of that. Oh, I'm going to be more knowledgeable. You, you might be, assume you are. Uh-huh. So of that's course. what's the symbol, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. And so, you know, it, you, can, you can derive the different types of capital, you know, political capital. If you have a specific knowledge, you might be able to influence yeah. decisions or policy uh, in a way. So but the whole point is that you can exchange and But you can exchange, there's a market for it. Right? Yeah, you can exchange okay. It. And, and so what we, you know, in... In 2019, the media is really important, like this radio station and mm-hmm. others. And so visibility in, our, in today's world is also some sort of capital, mm. kind of what we, by analogy, yeah. we reasoned. And, and, and the celebrities can, just like in the way Bourdieu said, they can exchange that capital for the same other types, yeah. economical, symbolic, political. And so th- that's the idea behind it. And, and But this capital... Uh, stems from media exposure. That's really the lifeblood of, you know, celebrities. Can I just explore that a little? So when you do introductory economics, mm-hmm. one of the un- arguments that you start with is, well, you've got labor, you've got work, and you can swap your labor for uh, money, and then that money you can either spend or you can save. And when you save, you build capital. So there's very clear economic theory about how capital is built in an economic mm-hmm. context. So how do you build or acquire celebrity capital? Yes, you know, the, the, the main way is as a media exposure, you know, in all shapes or forms. It's a continuous presence in the media, right? That's, that's really what's creating, strengthening this capital of celebrity. And that's why it's often the question of a good, bad reputation. What's important is just to have high reputation. And we, we can see that. I mean, you know, I've run lots of studies over the years, celebrities with uh, edgy uh, personality and uh, would, uh, you know, have a very high success, will, will be able to exchange their capital against very handsome, sometimes economic <laughs> capital. <laughs> You're listening to Think Business Futures. To download this show, head to 2SER.com or your favourite podcasting app and look for Think Business Futures. On this episode, we're talking about celebrity capital and looking behind the glitz to understand how people and organisations capitalise on fame, cool and influence. Now, Francois, before you mentioned that celebrity capital really relies on that the lifeblood of it is media exposure, which is a really nice segue to what I want to talk about in terms of with the help of the internet, with social media, with smartphones, we've seen the emergence of a new breed of celebrities, so-called influencers. So who are these people and how do they differ from more typical celebrities like sports stars or pop stars? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a very, very uh, strong phenomenon. Lots of, of companies are uh, investing in, in those influencers as mm. opposed to more mainstream or classical uh, celebrity endorsers. 
Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, you know, old-fashioned marketing. Yeah? Uh, targeting, that's uh, very important because if somebody has uh, one of the most well-read blog on something really specific, uh, the best coffee in town, for example, where can you find it? You know, read my blog. And then because, guess what? It also changes all the time. It's not like you can just read it once because new coffee shops pop up all the mm-hmm. time. So And so that's very targeted. And you will have an audience of coffee lovers and so on. Uh, that uh, maybe the traditional mainstream celebrities won't be as good at. Uh, it will be uh, a more mass targeting. And, and so, in a way, to simplify it, we can think of you know the new media tend to be uh, to have a lower cost and more focused targeting. And 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 so that's what influencers represent, and, mm-hmm. and the the endorsers are more in the old old world media, right? So mass media. Yeah. Okay. So our traditional celebrities rely on traditional media, like you know the the newspapers or magazines or TV or movies or so on. Whereas influencers, the way in which they get their media is curated through social media platforms which I imagine that they actually do themselves. Is that right? Uh, yeah, in, in a lot of cases. And it's also one important distinction uh, when you talk about uh, marketing communication. Uh, the medium is really important. And uh, the type of medium is important, but also is a source of, some, of the message seen as being independent from or detached from the medium. You know, if uh, you cast uh, the spotlight on yourself, it's not the same as if somebody else is following you, following you to do that. Mm. And so... Most of the, you know, the influencers, the model is uh, organic growth, like the audience grows with the influence. By that, I mean, it usually starts, they start talking about brands from the very beginning of the growth of their fame. Do influencers, do they have some kind of level of expertise or do people, like it back to this idea about symbolic capital you were talking about before, like... Like you say, the reason that you might an influencer is able to ha- have a targeted market or have influence be knowledgeable about coffee. Mm-hmm. So are they expected to have kind of a certain expertise? Yes, that's uh, this is expertise is definitely a common denominator between influencers and uh, and endorsers. Huh? Uh, yes, the expertise is, uh, is is a necessary condition, I would say. And but it also matters for for uh, for celebrity endorsers. Francois. When you started, you made the point about celebrity and you said, well, someone has some kind of domain expertise, a sports person, and then they appear out of that domain in the newspaper or other mediums and they become a celebrity. And then you can make the transition to endorsement of products. And when we talk about influencers, this seems to be somewhat different, that you might have someone who may not, in fact, be a famous sports person or a movie star, but it's someone who actually just starts a business, if you like, from zero. I mean, how do they build this kind of influence or fame? Actually, David, do you mind if I jump in for a second? Hello, it's Jason, the producer here. Usually I'm in the background. But I know of at least one marketing agency that deals specifically with social media influencers. I'm going to give them a call and find out how it works from their perspective. There we go. Hello. Hi, Genevieve. Jason here. So I'm Genevieve Day of Day Management, and I founded Day Management back in 2015, and it's an influencer talent agency. 
When did you personally start to see the shift in the advertising industry from big celebrity endorsements to more content driven by influencers on social media? Yeah, so when I started the agency back in 2015, we really saw the digital landscape changing and shifting. I was working in PR at the time. My clients' requests and what they were aiming for was shifting from that traditional celebrity or getting media coverage, and they wanted the kind of local celebrity being the influencer to um, be promoting their brands and offerings. And so that was kind of my first inkling that this was going to be a really massive shift in the industry. And what was what was driving that? You know, was it was it a bottom up thing? Was it the success of influencers on social media and PR firms and advertising were catching on to that, or was it the other way around? Yeah, I definitely think it um, started that way in the sense that influencers or people on social media were just posting it organically, and then the results were coming in from there. And it was almost surprising the PR agencies and the ad agencies. They're like, oh wow, this person who you know, doesn't really have any social standing. They're just, you know, the girl next door who's posting beautiful content, they're selling out products. And so that was kind of the birth of the influencer. So it's really interesting that it started from the, you know, grassroots success and now it's a multi-million dollar industry. So before getting into the business side of things uh, specifically, just on a general level, what makes influencer content different from traditional celebrity endorsements? So I think that the content itself can be quite similar. They're still promoting brands and having those product alignments. However, it's someone that's relatable to you and it's someone that is more attainable rather than a celebrity that's out of reach, which means because it's relatable to the consumer, they're more likely to engage with it. And that's how the content is quite different. There is more of it. I think influencers are posting regularly um, and they're giving a behind-the-scenes look of their lifestyle to you know anyone that follows them when celebrities were a bit more out of reach and not as relatable and personable, I guess. Obviously, the relationship then has changed between the influencers and the agencies um, and, and the brands. How did it start? What, what was in it for the influencers in the beginning? Yeah, in the beginning, it was more of like a product or a contra arrangement. I think as well, people didn't quite understand their own value and the own value they were providing to these brands, whether now we are so acutely aware of that, which is why there's a monetary price associated with it. So in the beginning, I think people were happy to do a lot more for free or in exchange for product. Um, But now that we have a lot more back-end data and statistics and a lot more case studies of, you know, the ROI that we have produced for brands, we can then associate the cost with it and price it up as such. So um, it was interesting back in 2015, especially people were doing a lot of things for free. And that's kind of why I started the agency is that I saw a monetary value we were putting in our PR reports for these influencer posts that these people were doing for free. And there was a gap there. Um, whether now it's really hard for a brand to get cut through without allocating spend. So it's almost like um, a continuation in the shift in advertising in general from selling a product to selling a lifestyle which we've kind of experienced and and now it's just like a logical extension you're you're seeing that person's lifestyle yeah absolutely and i think that they do sell every aspect of their lifestyle or they do promote every aspect of their lifestyle as well they want to be really real and authentic with their audience and that means that they kind of peel the curtain back a little bit and they give them a look into their life and into every single product they use and their beauty cupboard to what they're eating to what they're doing every single day um, and that is very different to how traditional celebrity endorsements were where it would be the kind of once off sponsored post as opposed to like an overarching campaign. 
can you uh, tell me, how does it work? Yeah, so in the beginning, we really scouted out some talent that we thought were going to explode. We're going to really be the next big thing. So it's really exciting to kind of go on that journey with them. Um, And we do try and look for people that has that it factor, yet also a commercial appeal about them. Now that we're kind of an established talent agency, we don't really scout out new talent in that same way. Um, It's much more reactive. And instead, we kind of are looking for opportunities with brands and how we can align them with our talent and with our influencers to have really authentic and longer term, uh, you know, brand alliances. And so we're looking for a campaign approach rather than just a one-off sponsored post um, where they can be brand ambassadors and spokespeople and used in their, you know, print campaigns on billboards and transcend just social media alone. Are there contracts involved? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of our job, it looks very glamorous um, and it looks like we're going to fun events all the time, but it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of contracting and spreadsheets. So we're always calculating um, in the agency, you know, the commission that we get and how much return on each job that we receive. And sometimes the amount of paperwork and admin for a $1,000 job is the same for a $10,000 job. So we are always calculating that and drawing out contracts. Um, a lot of it is brand exclusivity. That's a huge thing for these social media jobs and beyond. So there is absolutely a lot of paperwork involved. And having my background in media and communications didn't quite prepare me for that. So <laughs> a lot of learning on the job definitely took place. How do you calculate your return on investment? So for the brand, um, it's tricky sometimes if they go into it with an objective of sales straight away. We always say what we can guarantee is brand awareness. Um, And similar to normal advertising and traditional PR, it's all about building the brand's profile and awareness to the consumer. And studies have shown that you have to see something seven times before you make a purchase. So we obviously, if we're part of that seven, sales will be a byproduct of that, but it may not be the direct effect of an Instagram post. But what we can guarantee for brands now in an ROI is a really targeted approach. Instagram insights and the business profile have given us amazing tools to use that we can see within an audience what percentage are male or female, how old they are. And in that way, we can guarantee a really niche targeted marketing campaign for a brand. And uh, so you provide them with analytics of the social media yeah, absolutely yeah yeah we also provide a report afterwards that shows um not just how many likes and comments a post might get but the back end data instagram provides us with um shows us impressions of how many people actually saw the post how many people might have clicked on the brand's page as a result of that post or in the instagram story a swipe up link how many have then gone to their website through that url link so we can give them a lot of data that shows exactly what happened as a result of that post and then hopefully the sales are the next step. But we can definitely guarantee that, you know, if someone has 200,000 followers, that 100,000 people might have seen that post and then 10,000 people might have liked it. How then do, how do the influencers make money? So traditionally it was just through sponsored posts um, and it would be more of a one-off sponsored post with a brand. However, now we are working a lot more with long-term partnerships and ambassador roles, which is great for the business and for the influencer. 
Um, it also has expanded beyond that where they might create content for the brand for their own social channels or for their website or EDM. They might um, host events and do stuff with brands in person, which is kind of great to see that again transcend from online to real life. So there's a lot more than just the standard sponsored Instagram posts that people would associate it with. There's a lot of different avenues we can go down, different factors that we can price up and monetize. Lastly, but most importantly, for our purposes, you mentioned that you also work with podcasters. I was just wondering, what tips do you have for the Think Business Futures team? How can we become powerhouse digital influencers? I love this because everyone wants to be an influencer these days. Um, I think it's great to really understand your niche and who your following is and who you're targeting. So. For you guys, there's a massive audience out there of people in business, the you know people in entrepreneurial pursuits. There are so many business communities and groups and think tanks out there that you could totally be targeting. I think as well, you could be putting much more of a face to your brand. Let's get you on those Instagram stories. <laughs> and I think that kind of engagement definitely grows a channel. So yeah, you, you could totally be the new influencer and be you know the leader in this business <laughs> space. Okay, well, we'll have to uh, get an Instagram account started firstly. Um, but Yeah, that's a good starting point. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Genevieve. I appreciate that. We'll put uh, links to the show notes and everything to the website. Amazing. Thanks so much for the chat. That brings us to the close of this episode of Think Business Futures. Think Business Futures is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is made via UTS Business School with the support of 2SER 107.3. If you'd like to hear more from us, head to the 2SER website, 2SER.com slash thinkbusinessfutures. You can also search for us on your favourite podcast app. Our executive producer is Jason Lequia. And thanks very much to Francois Carrier uh, for coming in on the show to explain Celebrity Capital. Francois, uh, will you endorse this episode, perhaps? <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. No risk involved. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.